Uh, we're going to be focusing on a number of passages, but in particular, we'll be looking at Matthew's chapter 12, verses 13 through 18. Matthew's chapter 2, I'm sorry, uh, verses 13 through 18. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young man or the young child to destroy him, to kill him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which they had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we are humbled by the fact that you allow us to come into your presence. Lord, we are a part of the vine. We are the branches. Jesus is the vine. And you are the vine dresser. And you prune that which is unproductive. And Father, today we are coming that you might begin to cut away those things that are not producing fruit that remains. Father, we are coming that you might remove those things that don't multiply and remain. So, Lord, have your way. Uh, open our eyes that we may see those areas in our life that you are shining the light of the Holy Spirit on. And having revealed those areas to us, God, may we con confess them if they are sinful, that we may correct them in the power of the Spirit of God. Now, have your way. We pray in Jesus' name in the church that amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Turn. I'm going to ask. Point it tomorrow towards me a little bit. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Uh, some time ago, I read an article uh, that was published by the Associated Press, and the writer covered a very interesting story about a small town in New Hampshire called Plaisto. One morning, uh, the writer uh, writes about a homeowner who gets up and he discovers that a manger that he and his son had worked on had been vandalized. And to his shock and amazement, the little baby Jesus had been stolen. And in the place of the baby, there was left an empty beer can. The little town was so 
upset and outraged that someone would steal a baby Jesus out of its manger and leave an empty beer can, that they literally protested and their protestation was so uh, public that the news media actually covered and carried the story about little baby Jesus being stole from a manger and replaced with an empty beer can. When I read the story, it reminded me of something that we really should be outraged about, something that really should trouble us. And that is on an annual, on an annual basis, the true baby Jesus in the manger is constantly being stolen. When we allegedly celebrate his birthday, by excluding him from the party. Uh, not just in America, but around the world, we have replaced Jesus, Mary's baby, with a beer can called political correctness. The name of Jesus is no longer permissible to be uh, uh, used in the context of the public school. Uh, when you go and spend all of your money in these department stores celebrating Christmas, you will not hear the name Jesus in the carols that, are, that we once loved and enjoyed. Uh, even Christians, to avoid offending others, instead of saying Merry Christmas, we say, Happy holiday. We'll say all the other holidays, but we won't mention the name Christ in Christmas for fear of offending. Now, contrary to what some news media outlets want to lead us to believe, Donald Trump did not return us back to celebrating Christmas. He didn't save Christmas. He did not save Christmas. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He didn't say he did take credit for it, but he did not save Christmas. The name Jesus is nowhere to be found on our gift list. He's been stolen away. We have chosen an empty beer can called overspending and credit debt to replace baby Jesus in his manger. Tell somebody, stop the steal. Stop the steal. Now, I'm not talking about this dangerous false claim that the 2020 presidential election was stolen. I'm talking about the thievery that takes place every Christmas. It's time for believers to put Jesus back where he belongs, not in the manger, but as a central focus point of Christmas and refuse to join the world, for the Bible tells us that we're in the world but not to be of the world. We don't want to join the world in helping them to steal the true meaning and purpose of Christ and robbing him of his glory. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, we discover that God has stopped, had to stop the steal at the birth, after the birth of Christ. We see this in verse 13 where the Lord tells Joseph, in a dream through the archangel Gabriel, 
uh, he says, he appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill it. Stop the still. God preemptively intervened to prevent Herod from ending the life of Christ, which in effect would have stole the real purpose of Christmas, for Jesus came, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He came to save the world. And if Herod had had his way, Jesus' mission would have been aborted and he would not have, not have accomplished what had been predetermined from the very foundations of the earth. Stop the still. Get up. Take the child and his mother. Escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, because Herod is trying to steal, trying to kill, trying to destroy. Now, I want to consider some ways that we can proactively, like God, prevent Christ from being stolen from the central focus of Christmas. And I'm just going to teach today, and I'm going to share some things that maybe you haven't considered, that maybe you should. And I really believe that a lot of the traditions that we routinely celebrate uh, that we have not really looked at through the lens of the Word of God, that we need to revisit whatever we do, as Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it for the glory and the honor of the Lord. One of the ways that you know that you're growing spiritually is that you begin to look at everything that you do from the lens of the Word of God. The writer to the Hebrews said that you may be exercised in righteousness, learning to discern good from evil. And so I want to... I want to run through the grid of the Word of God why I celebrate Christmas the way I do, why I wear what I wear, why I choose this or that. Everything that we do should be evaluated from the perspective of the Word of God because the Word of God is truth, not a truth, but the truth. And the truth of the Word of God is what will set us free. Jesus said, you will know it. You can know it, and when you do and apply it, it will what? The truth will what? What? I, I wonder if you believe that. The truth will, let me get all my amen. The truth will do what? It will set you free. Anybody free today? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Anybody experience any liberty right now? I, I, I know we're getting bad news, and we thought we were all done with this COVID nonsense, but where the Spirit of the Lord is. Amen, amen. And so I'm just going to share two things today. Basically, I'm going to give you some clarifications on what is needed if we're going to stop the still, and then I'm going to give you Christ-centered strategies to keep Christmas from being stolen. So I'm going to share two things. Clarification on what we need to know so Christmas will stop being stolen, and some Christ-centered strategies that will teach us ways to keep Christ from being stolen. The first clarification is, we do not know the exact day Jesus was born. We don't know if he was born on the 25th. But what we do know is that universally in Western cultures, 
the 25th of December is set aside to honor the birth of Jesus. We do know that. Some believers say Christmas is a pagan holiday, and since we don't know the day that Jesus was born, we should not celebrate Jesus' birth on the 25th. And to that I say, the real issue is not whether or not we should celebrate the birth of Christ on the 25th. The real issue is how we should celebrate the birth of Christ on the 25th or the 27th or the 29th or the 37th, if there was a 37th. And so the question is, you, you may choose not to celebrate on the 25th for whatever reason you feel led not to celebrate the birth of Christ on the 25th. But every Christian ought to be throwing Jesus a birthday party at some time to recognize that he was born, that he was born. I choose to celebrate on the 25th because it gives me more opportunity to tell people about Jesus on the day that unsaved folk are paying attention. I choose to allow my light to so shine so that when men ask a reason of the hope that is within me, with, I will respond in fear and in trembling and tell them the hope that I had was born in a manger. I don't know the date, but I do know he was born. And I'm going to join you in celebrating, but I'm going to tell you about him too. We do not know the number of wise men that worshiped Jesus who came. They were astrologers, magis. They followed a star. They were star searching for the real star. Somebody needs to remember there's only one real star, and his name is not ours. <laughs> and so in search of the star, they were led to Bethlehem the place where Jesus was born, but we're not told that there were three or five or seven or ten. What well, we are told that there were three gifts that were given, and so people say, oh, three wise men. And so we conclude, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. No, <laughs> there's nothing in the Scripture that tells us exactly how many wise men there were. And if you got a nativity scene with three wise men, nah, ain't no problem with that. But don't go anywhere in the Bible to try to find anything that's going to support that there were exactly three. Another little uh, clarification is the wise men did not see Jesus in a manger in an inn. By the time they meet with Jesus, Mary and Joseph are living in a house. And Jesus is probably at least the age of two when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him to flee because it was those who were age two and under that Herod made a decree to have youth, have these kids euthanized or to, to not youth, but genocide on, on these infants. And so in, in Matthew's chapter two, verses 10 and 11 says, on coming to the house, the Magi's, they saw the child, not the baby, came to the house with his mother Mary 
and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so the shepherds saw Jesus before the wise men, and the wise men didn't catch on to seeing Jesus until Jesus was about two, a toddler. And that is the biblical accurate account in terms of by the time they met Jesus and Mary and Joseph were living in a home, not in an inn. And the baby is no longer in an animal's trough. Here's another uh, issue of clarification. The practice, the practices, the traditional practices and truth about Christmas are not mutually exclusive. And by that I mean, some people say, you got a tree in your house? You got decoration on the tree? That is for pagan worship. It had nothing to do with Christmas. And so there are Christians who believe that if you have, you, you actually are participating in demonic worship. And what I'm suggesting to you, that there's nothing in the scripture that says that we can have a tree or we can have lights. What the scripture does say is you better not be bowing down to a tree. You better not be worshiping any lights. You may not give any credit. Well, my tree's name is... <laughs> Celebrating the birth of Christ on the 25th as a family tradition is not a biblical mandate, as I've already said. It's a personal choice. It's in the area of what the Bible or theologians refer to doubtful things, gray areas, Christian liberties where God has not been, where, where scriptures don't mandate or command. It's a personal conviction or preference. There are biblical absolutes. There are preferences. And then there are then there are things that are, are actual personal convictions. Listen to what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse, verses 7 and 9 say regarding doubtful things and personal uh, liberties. The Apostle Paul addresses this issue to Christian, about Christian liberties. He says, however, some Christians don't realize this. All their lives they have been used to thinking that idols are real and have believed that food offered to idols is really being offered to an actual God. So for some new Christians, you offer, if, if you go down to the local temple and you pick up the meat, they would pray in recognition of the particular God that that food had been offered to, and in their minds, that God was real. And so as, once they became believers, they stopped eating meat, some of them, because they felt like that was idol worship. And what Paul says there aren't any other guys. There's only one guy. But in some people's mind, if they, if, it's, if they can't work through it because of their lack of maturity, he says, so when they eat such food, it bothers them and hurts their tender conscience. conscience. Just remember that God doesn't care whether you eat or not eat. That's why Paul says, I become all things to all men that I can win some. To the Jew, I became as a Jew. To the Gentile, if they wanted to eat a little, eat a little pork chops or pig feet, I ate some pig feet and pork chops. But when I was with the Jews, who conscience did not allow them, they're Christians who think it's okay to have a drink with your meal. It's okay to uh, have drink in public with other Christians. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't have a drink. The Scripture says all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under subjection of anything except for the authority of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so he says, you are at liberty to eat your pork. You're at liberty to eat your chitlins. 
But if what I'm eating or what I'm drinking causes another brother or sister to be offended, I will operate under the spirit of love because knowledge alone, I know I can, but love edifies. Knowledge by itself puffs up. And so there are things that you're not going to see Pastor Benson and Sister Benson do in public. In public. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I thought he was saved. I thought he was a pastor. We are no worse off if we do not eat it or better off if we do, mutually exclusive. But we care for, we, but be careful not to use your freedom to eat lest you cause some Christian brother to sin whose conscience is weaker than yours. And so celebrating Christmas is a personal preference or conviction. It's not a biblical ma mandate or com uh, command. As long as you're not making... Uh, children don't think of trees in the way that uh, uh, the, the Celts who originated the, the practice of uh, cutting down trees, etc. They don't think of it as, a, as an idol or worship. Uh, but we, again, when we keep Christ central, then, we, then we're able to help our children understand that we're not worshiping a tree or you, you can still have Christmas if you don't have a tree. Somebody say amen. amen. So my poor mom, when she got upset with us, we had Christmas a week before. She said, there they go, go get them. The toys are back there. Oh, my goodness. Lord have mercy. Christmas tree, hmm, what was that? Uh, we weren't trying to honor any particular Christian practices. We just didn't have a Christmas tree. Mother had an artificial tree. She put some lights around it, and that was our tree. Amen, in the name of Jesus. Who we're caring about was on the tree anyway. We were caring about what was under the tree. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. So here, Christ-centered strategy. Second thing, Christ-centered strategy to stop the still is needed. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 18, we've already said, we see the strategy that was given by the angel from God to Joseph. Right, get up, take the child and his mother to Egypt, which was a fulfillment of prophecy. They didn't know that, but the angel woke him up and told him to escape and remain where, remain in Egypt until I tell you, because Herod is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And when I tell you, you can return. So the first, the first strategy that we need to, to address, to avoid Christmas from being stolen, is doubt. Doubt must be dealt with to stop the still. Doubt must be. Now, when you get a chance, write this down. Luke chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. The Bible says, And the angel said to him, Zacharias, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you the good news. God sent me to you as his messenger. What I'm about to say to you is the very word of God. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their point in time. So Zacharias is a Levite. He's praying in the temple during the time he's assigned. And while he is assigned to pray in the temple, the angel of the Lord Gabriel appears to him. And he says, I bring you good news of glad tidings. And the first response, everybody that ever saw an angel is that they were terrified. I saw an angel today. Okay. 
And I believe that we are, we do entertain angels unaware, that all angels don't appear like Gabriel. Gabriel, usually when, you, when, you, when his presence is described, he's, it's bright light. And so now, he said, do not be afraid. It's really interesting how the Lord, revelation, manifestation, in order for God to give us revelation, he has to deal with our fear. He has to move us past our fear. So he says, two great miraculous things are going to happen. So one, you and Elizabeth, your wife, are going to bear a child in his name. He, ultimately, they give him the name John, as he, and he's John the baptizer. And he says, secondly, John, or the son that you will be given miraculously, will be the forerunner of this baby named Jesus that will be, will be born in a manger. He will be his forerunner in this one that he, he goes before to prepare the way is going to be the promised Messiah, the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Savior. And so Zachariah says, what? Are you sure? You drinking something? I'm, 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 I'm kind of paraphrasing here. He asked, are you sure? How can this be? My wife and I are beyond childbearing age. We are both old. Everything's shut down. Nothing works anymore. We don't have any children, and we can't have any children. And then the angel said, because you did not believe, you will be silenced until the promise is fulfilled. And so after the angel spoke, Zacharias did not, was not able to speak again until John was born. And he would write. And so when they were getting ready to name John, and, and, and they said, we're going to name him after you, Zacharias. And Zacharias said, no, 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 no. He started writing, no, I don't want to get this. I want to be able to talk again. And he wrote the name that the angel John, John will be his name. And so Zacharias did not believe the word of God. He didn't believe that God, the God of the word, is capable of doing what he says in his word. So if we're going to stop the still, we got to ask ourselves the question, do you really believe God's word? Do you really believe that the God who said that he would give barren parents a baby can do that for you? Do you believe now you ain't going to give birth to the Savior who's already been born, but you can be the messenger that tells somebody about the Savior and they become a part of the family? Do you believe that the power of God is in the gospel? Do you really believe that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God? Do you really believe in the Word became flesh and he tabernacled among us and we beheld the glory as the only begotten? Do you really believe that Jesus was born as God said, I believe if we really revisit that and examine how we think about what the scriptures have said about this Jesus, the incarnate Christ, God in human form, that will stop us from stealing the glory from Christ on Christmas. Because like Zacharias, we have doubt in our hearts. Do you really believe that God can do something for you that he did for them? In fact, the better question is, what are you believing God for anyway that you couldn't do for yourself? 
So we need to deal with doubt. God said, I show you what I do for people who are doubting, doubters. And this will prove that what I said will come to pass. You won't be able to say a word for nine months. Now, I don't want the Lord to have to convince me that his word is true by, by silencing me for one month. But sometimes when the Lord will put us on our back, will put us in positions, there's something that he's testing us in our, our faith about to bring us to a point where we know that what he promised, he will perform it. Here's a second thing that we need to deal with in order to avoid Christmas being, Christ being stolen. Distractions must be dealt with. Distractions. When you get a chance, write this one down. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. All of this is about the story of Christ that leads us back to chapter 2, the story of Christ. The Bible says, about this time, Caesar Augusta, the Roman Empire, decreed a census should be taken throughout the nation. The census was taken when Aquintus was governor, I'm sorry, Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone was required to return to their ancestral home for his registration, and because Joseph was a member of the royal line, he had to go back to Bethlehem of Judea, King David's ancient home, journeying where there from Galilee, the village of Nazareth. Now, Joseph and Mary was from Nazareth. And here's what's deep. They had to deal with political pressure. Caesar actually, Caesar Augustus actually believed he was a god. And he intentionally made a habit of terrorizing and disrupting people's lives. So he decreed that a census was required for all the people of the Roman Empire. And so no matter where you lived or where, whatever was going on in your life, you had to be back at your, your ancestral home by a certain time in order for the census to be taken. So there was political distractions. There were also, there were also political distractions today. Anybody been paying attention to what's going on in Washington? It's enough to make you chew your nails down to the elbows. There are a lot of distractions today that would rob you the Grinch that stole Christmases in Washington, D.C. I said this last week. Satan is not omnipresent. He is local. He is central, and he's not in hell right now. Satan is roaming throughout the earth, seeking whom he may devour, that he may recruit a few good men and women so that they can go to the, to the, to the pit with him where he'd be cast into Lake Vice. Satan is, is very active in the world today. And if there was a central place that Satan would be in terms of setting up shop, his headquarters, it'd be in Washington, D.C. right now. Satan's in Washington. That is the epicenter of what is happening in the world. As Washington goes, so goes the world. The political distractions, the financial distractions, the reason why uh, uh, Caesar Augustus wanted them to go back and be counted was so he could tax them. This was about the Benjamin. <laughs> We, we see, we, 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 we're dealing with financial issues today. We're going to spend more money than we, can, than, than we have, and we'll be trying to pay it back for the next five years in the name of having a good Christmas. When you broke is a joke, and you don't need to be putting nothing on your credit card, and so financial distractions, and, and it all looks like you need to have it. All that we can make sure you get it. And I always was amazed. How do you send a college student a credit card application? 
and worse than that, approve them. Well, there's a reason because college students don't believe that credit. They think there's real money and you, and you don't have to pay it back. And by the time you realize you do have to pay it back, you're in such debt. You're 25 years old and you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. So we got financial distractions. Put your, keep your money. Make some, get some crayons and cards. Don't do that to me, son and daughter. But for the rest of y'all. Be creative. Send an Instagram or something. Amen. Amen. Emotional distractions can steal the real meaning of Christmas. Mary was very, very pregnant when they had to relocate from their home. Anybody ever had to move? You know how traumatic moving is. And here she is. She has to move late in her pregnancy. But here's the catcher to her pregnancy. She was espoused to Joseph. They hadn't consummated that thing. So, so Mary is pregnant, and Joseph don't have a nickel in that dime. And so here he is. He, you know, he's dealing with a woman who says, God did this. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God did this. You pregnant, you about in the sixth or seventh month, but God did this, and now I'm supposed to be all right with it. There are all kinds of emotional pressures on us right now that are distractions. People have been so stretched by this pandemic that kids are losing their minds in school. Uh, uh, kids, we're pulling them in school, pulling them out of school. Uh, uh, kids, are, you know, wear masks, you don't wear masks. Adults saying one city, don't wear masks, another city, don't wear masks. And so we are in an emotional powder keg, and people are at the brink of just losing it. And then the crazy part, while all this stuff is going on on the inside of us, we're somewhere in a stadium watching a game or listening to music as if it's like we're watching Rome burn. Floods in California, snowstorms and avalanches, earthquakes, famine, pestilence all over the world, and we're trying to get down to the mall. There's something very schizophrenic about that. It is. And, 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 and they're still trying to get the games in and still trying to make sure they make that money. And while all this is going on, nobody's at home attending to the emotional breakdowns that we're going to have to deal with when we finally get. The church better be ready. We need to be ready. People are in a, in a bad place. That's why when you come to church, you ought to just turn to and just holler out, thank you, Jesus. I mean, we ought to be praising the Lord that we're back in his house. We ought to be celebrating. Every time you can take your mask off, you ought to be doing a holy dance. Emotional distractions, medical distractions. She's not only pregnant, but the baby, she's got a baby bump. (laughs) Everybody can see that this woman I'm not married to is very, very pregnant. And here's the deep thing. Joseph and Mary doesn't have the benefit of knowing what we know. This was real life in time. This was, this was happening in their life. As the angel was telling, this is real life experience. 
and, and Caesar Augustus strutting his stuff like he's really in charge. But what he doesn't understand is that the hands of the king or the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord like rivers of water. And he turns it wherever he wills that, that Caesar was actually executing the will of God when he forced the people to go back to their hometown. Because Joseph needed to get back to Bethlehem because the scripture predicted that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Not Nazareth. But Mary and Joseph had no idea. So we need to deal with the distractions. Do you have any financial distractions, emotional distractions, geographical distractions? We also need to deal with a third thing, disinformation. Disinformation must be dealt with. Disinformation about the place where Jesus would be born. The Bible says that Jesus came unto his own and they knew him not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. The world knew him not. And the reason the world didn't know Jesus is because he didn't come in splendor and majesty and royalty. He came from an obscure place. Listen to what Mal, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says uh, regarding disinformation about the place of Christ's birth. He says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathites, Euphrates, or Ephrathites, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering that today, y'all. Praise the Lord. Uh, though you are small among the clan of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origin is whose origins are from the, from old and from ancient times. They did not know that Jesus was going to come from the city of David, Bethlehem. That was, that's why uh, Herod didn't know how to find Jesus. If he had searched the scriptures, he could have read it right. It was in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So it was disinformation. The Jews were looking for a political leader. They were looking for somebody that was going to make it right for them financially. They were looking for somebody that was going to come and wipe out their enemies. But Jesus came as a little child. We do know he's coming back, but not as a child. He's coming back as a conquering king. He came as a baby, but he's coming back as the Lion of Judah. So there was disinformation about where he was, the place. There was also disinformation about the person who God, God chose a teenager, a virgin named Mary, who would fulfill the prophecy in, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. For 800 years before the birth of Christ, God gave a prophecy to Jeremiah, I mean to, to, to Isaiah, about who the child's mother would be. Listen to what the scripture says. The virgin will conceive, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And so there was a prediction of the virgin birth. But the disinformation is that when Mary turned up pregnant, Joseph thought she cheated. And the peers of Jesus thought he was illegitimate. That's why they said, you are Mary and Joseph's illegitimate son. When Jesus went to his own town and they rejected him. And so the misinformation was that Mary had been unfaithful prior to the consummation of the marriage. That was one of the misinformations. Here's a second misinformation that Mary, some religions actually teach that she is sinless. She is like Jesus. Jesus is the second Adam. Some teach that Mary is the second Eve, and that when 
Uh, God said to Moses in Genesis 3.15 that the heel of the serpent would be, that the child would be wounded, uh, bruised, but the heel of Satan would be mortally, would be mortally wounded, that, that, that the serpent would actually be die, that he would lose and die. He said, and the enmity would be between, begin, against, the, against the serpent and Satan. So they concluded that the Lord, what he did when Mary was, she was that woman, and she was conceived as the second Eve. And like Adam, the first Adam, she was sinless. And that when the Holy Spirit caused her to conceive and he came upon Mary, that not only was she sinless in nature, that she now no longer could sin. And so when you go to certain religious functions, they bow down at the statue of Mary because they treat her like she's a fourth member of the Trinity, that she's deity. The Bible never teaches that Mary is, is, is a sinless. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short. But the only person who never sinned was Jesus. And that's why Mary actually says in, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 7, she said, uh, she, she's speaking of her own sinfulness. She said, uh, she says, and my spirit rejoices in God, who is my Savior. <laughs> she needed to be saved, too, just like everyone. She was sinless. And so the only person who's actually sinless is Jesus. The reason why Mary, that Jesus did not inherit the sin nature of Mary is because the seed of Adamic sin is not passed through the woman but through the man. It was through Adam's sin that all died. And so through the seed of man, that's where we get our sin nature. And so, no, Mary, I'm sorry, that's misinformation. She's not immaculate. Not the immaculate conception is that Mary was sinless and can't sin. That ain't biblical. You ain't going to find that in this Bible. I'm sorry, you can take your little statue and your little cross with Mary on it and your little uh, icons in your house. It ain't going to help you get through to God. The Bible says there's only one mediator between God and man, and his name ain't Mary. His name is Jesus. So if you want to get to God and you don't have to go to the pastor or the elders or the priest, the Bible says that individually let us come boldly unto the throne of grace, and there you personally will find mercy and grace to help who? To help you in the time of need. Aren't you glad you don't have to wait on the priest? I call these priests to come to the hospital. They ain't coming to no hospital where COVID is. They ain't coming. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Thank God for Jesus. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing, not a thing can separate you from my love, which is in my son Christ Jesus. We need to deal with disinformation. No, Mary is not the fourth member of the Trinity. No, she's not sinless. No, God didn't choose her because she was sinless. She was shocked that the Lord showed her favor. She was a sinner in need of salvation, and the Lord saved her just like he saves us. Aren't you glad about that? Here's a, here's a final thing. In order, disobedience must be dealt with to stop the still, to stop the still. Disobedience. Zacharias didn't obey, he doubted. Herod found out that the Messiah was born, and he tried to kill him. And you can go back all the way back to the beginning of time. And when you go back to Genesis chapter 3.15, when Satan knew that the Messiah was going to be born, he did everything that he could to exterminate 
the line that the Messiah would be born from. But when we come to the New Testament, here's what, and when we apply this to our own life, this is the spirit that we must have when it comes to Christmas. Disobedience must be dealt with. Mary obeyed. Listen to this in, 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 in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. The angel said, you are highly favored, and God has chosen you, and you will bring forth, you will be the mother who bears and carries the Son of God. Now, I don't know about you. She did say, well, I've never known man. I've never had sex with man. I don't know how this and that. And then he said, well, this is, child's going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, and God, this is totally a God thing. And here's her response. She said, I am the Lord's servant. And I am willing to do whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. And the angel disappeared. Is that your response to stuff you don't understand? Who is God telling you to forgive? Who is God telling you? We, we, can, we don't have any problem blessing people that bless us. When's the last time you blessed one of your enemies? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit revealed that to you because the Bible says, love your enemies and pray for them who despitefully use you. And do good to them who curse you. When's the last time you did good to somebody who cursed you, who, who crossed you? Mary said, whatever you, I, I don't understand this. It makes no sense. And, and, and biologically and scientifically, there's no explanation. But this is the word of God. And if God said it, that settles it for me. Joseph obeyed. He was, the Bible says that Joseph woke up. He was preparing to divorce Mary privately. He didn't want to embarrass her, to cheat, the, the, the dishonest, <laughs> creeping and sneaking around, getting with somebody. And the angel appeared to Joseph, and he said, this is of God. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. Could you love someone else's child? Could you really love someone as a child as if that child is yours? If God tells you to marry into that kind of relationship? Jesus was Joseph's stepchild, not his biological child. The Bible says what God told him to do, he immediately. Let me just make it even more personal. Do you even love your own child? Some of us love everybody else's child because they got to go home. What about your own? Let me move on. The wise men obeyed. But when they returned to their own land, they did not go through Jerusalem to report to Herod. For God had warned them in a dream to go home another way. They obeyed. Just think, if any of them, if Mary had disobeyed, if Joseph had disobeyed, if the wise men had given Jesus up and Herod had found him, if they had disobeyed, we would not be celebrating the birth of Christ today. The shepherds obeyed. They obeyed the words of the angels. I like the shepherds. Oh, they were the guys that everybody looked down on. They were, they, I mean, this is the lowest level job that you could have back during this time. And the angel said, today in the city of David is born the Messiah to deliver the promised Lamb of God. And they, and they said, he said, and they said, the angel said, here's where he is. And the scripture says, the, the shepherds went. 
They went. They didn't have no question. Where is he? They went. And then when they saw him, they worshiped. They began to just praise God. They didn't need no music. Well, there was music. There was an angelic host singing. And, oh, man, what a time. Can you imagine being one of the shepherds on that hillside and seeing the Messiah, the child, the, 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 the Messiah, the one, God with us, Emmanuel? Can you imagine? You don't have to imagine. He's here right now. You can celebrate his presence right now. You can rejoice that he's here right now. Where is he? He's living in your heart. The Bible says that, don't you know that you are the temple of God in the spirit? Oh, you can tell. Oh, aren't you glad about it? That manger is in your heart. They went and they worshiped. But here's another thing they did in Luke chapter 2, verse 17. They witnessed to others about the Messiah. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. Are you witnessing about this child that now lives in you? The Bible said, but when the Holy Spirit has come, he's come. He said, you shall be my what? Witnesses. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the, wherever you go, you will declare, I got a testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. I have been accepted into the family. Now, let me finish with this quickly here. Four things that you can practically apply as we leave. The first thing that you can practically apply is this. Stop doubting God's word. God can perform a miracle today in your life just like he did for Zacharias. Stop doubting. Believe. I expect a miracle every day. When I think about our property in Middletown, I'm just waiting for somebody to write a check. Oh, that, you know, 1.6, that's all. They're going to write that check. Somebody might want to do it today. I don't know. You might be here today. We got some guests. They might want to take care of that. I believe in God for a miracle every day. Why not? If he did it, then we can sure do it now. The fact that I'm still living, the fact that I'm not in jail somewhere, the fact that I got a portion of my mind, my health, and my strength coming out of North Philadelphia, I'm a miracle. I'm a living miracle. I shouldn't be alive. Spend time focusing on the true meaning of Christmas. One of the things that we always do before we open up anything, we open up the word of God and we read the Christmas story. We pass the Bible around. So spend time focusing on the true meaning of Christmas. Share the good news about Christ, the birth of Christ, and how salvation is possible through him. Are you telling anybody about Christ? I love it how the sisters... Uh, send cards about, this, the, to, to, uh, about salvation and what Jesus has done. You can send a card. You can send an email, a text message. And here's finally, start praising him because unto us a child has been given, a son has been given, and the government will still be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, unto us, Jesus came to us as one of us, 
to save us in spite of us. <laughs> we ought to be standing with me. We ought to be praising him because unto us he came for us as one of us in spite of us. We want to stop the still by applying the word of God every day as we move forward into this Christmas experience where Christ burst into heaven and onto earth from heaven and his presence not only changed our life, but his presence has changed the world. Somebody say amen. amen. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, as we bow during this Christmas season, it's almost like deja vu. Twelve months ago, we were in the same place with the pandemic out of control. And yet, oh God, we are yet, we are still here. We're still here in the land of the living. And we're grateful for that. Father, we're asking that you continue to be a hedge of protection around us. But more importantly, oh God, we recognize that a world is dying. And the greatest threat is not COVID-19. It's not climate change. It's not even racism. It's not sexism. It's sin. That's the greatest problem facing mankind right now. And the solution for sin is Jesus. So with every head bowed and all eyes closed, I wonder this morning if you had a personal relationship with this Jesus. I want you to understand that when you are a true Christian, the Bible, changed, the Bible says that Christ's presence makes you a new creation from the inside out. It doesn't mean that you are sinless, but it makes you, his presence makes you sin less and less as you are growing. But if you've never invited him into your heart, I was so grateful to stand next to a man who was about to die. I was able to lead that man into a saving experience of Jesus Christ. We said, I believe that Jesus died for me, for me, that he was buried. And on the third day, according to scripture, that this same Jesus rose, the same resurrected Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority. And the Bible says that Jesus is standing at the heart, your heart right now, if you don't know him, he's knocking and he's asking, would you let me in?